Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. There's a young man in his late teens. He was being groomed for a concert. And his piano master was the finest piano teacher in the land as well as the most demanding. Everyone anticipated this performance and he took his seat on the stage while his master sat up in the balcony on the third row aisle seat above. And when he played, the audience could not believe what they were hearing. Never had they had heard such an audience before, uh, performance before. And he ended the concert with thunderous applause and a standing ovation. And the young man bowed and walked off the stage quietly and made up his way to the dressing room. The stage manager catches him by the arm as he's walking briskly into the dressing room, and a stage manager begs him to go back out. He said, look at all these people standing in applause. You have to go back and do one more encore. And the young man turns and says, they're not all standing. He said, look up in the balcony, the third row seat. And sure enough, the stage manager looks up there, and there was one man not standing. His arms were folded, no emotion on his face. How could you go, not go back out there with everyone else standing? Surely not. One per, surely one person not standing should not matter, said the stage manager. Oh, but it does matter, he said. It matters when the one person not standing is your master. And the story begs the question, does it not? Whose applause do we need in life? Who is in the audience that your life plays out before that you need to stand up and affirm your life. And today's Advent story comes to us from the edges of the Advent story, the beginning of Luke's gospel, a story that takes us to the edges of the birth of Jesus and then how we ought to live into the light of the story of Advent this coming year. So Luke chapter 1, Luke 1 is the story of Luke. And Luke is set up, Luke, there's, a, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke is a doctor by trade. And Luke's account actually takes place even before Jesus comes. So Luke kind of starts out from the very beginning, backs it up, all the further account of another pregnancy of, of Mary's cousin named Elizabeth. And surprising about this, from the greater kind of, kind of like 5,000 foot view of the Bible, is that Luke actually, this actually takes place, if you think about it from, a, from kind of a bigger picture of this, is that the last book of the Bible is Malachi, and Malachi ends, and then there's 400 years of silence, and then all of a sudden there's, bam, there's this story, and there's, there's this story of 400 years of silence, and then bam, this Jesus comes on the scene, and Luke starts to write his gospel. And so today brings us to a story uh, that begins with Luke, and it begins with the story of Jesus, and it begins with the story of the telling of, his co- of, of, of Mary's cousin in Elizabeth. And uh, one might assume that maybe if you're Luke, maybe you start with the beginning of the, like you start with Jesus' birth, but it backs it up even further than this, because the events that go around Jesus' birth help us to walk into the story of Advent. And it's another face in the story that comes from the edges of the Advent story in Luke chapter 1. So we'll go there. We will read this together, read a couple verses, and then we'll read uh, some more verses together. But hey, if you um, uh, don't have a home church, we at Washington Union value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures. And it's my prayer that you would find a church that does preach and teach from the scriptures. It's in the 720s. I know that. 720 
723, 723 of the Bible in front of you, if you'd like to follow along with that Bible in front of you. By the way, if you do not have a Bible, I would be glad to give you a Bible. That would be a gift um, that I would love to give you. If you don't have one, I'd love to get you a Bible. Um, It'll be on the screen behind me, but we're going to read verses 5 through 7 of Luke 1, and then uh, we'll talk about this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who had belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His life His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. And so if we know anything about the scriptures, uh, we know that there's actually many, many uh, women in the Bible who were barren. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, and Moroah's wife were unable, people in the Bible, unable to have children. And in the land of the Bible, in the culture of the land of the Bible, having a male offspring was everything. Everything in that culture, in that time frame, in that culture was dependent upon a male heir to continue the family line. It's just kind of the culture of the day. So having no children meant that there wasn't a child to bury you. And no children to continue the family properties. No status in the society of the day. And many people, unfortunately, and, and on deemed women who could not bear children in that day, unworthy of some sort and unfairly labeled because of that. Um, and so, but notice how Zechariah and Elizabeth here are described. They are described here as righteous and blameless. And they are up in years, as verse 7 says, the years of disappointment. A life of endless prayers and sleepless nights. And that's where the tears could cause Elizabeth to go to sleep, to dominate her mind and her head with sorrow. They pray for years for a child, and yet those prayers seem to go unanswered. Or do they? Have you ever felt as though maybe faith has let you down? Or maybe faith has disappointed you? Felt as though you have prayed those for those long-lost brothers or sisters, prayed for that child, prayed for in faith for the healing of the terminally ill mother or father, and yet they go without an ounce of physical healing on this side of earth to his or her body. Let's go and see how this plays out. In verse 8, it says this, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. So we know Zechariah is a priest here. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been what? Heard, your, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him what? John. And he will be a joy and a delight for, to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a people to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so Zechariah said to ask the angel, "How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years." 
So notice this. Zechariah is extremely smart. He says, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. He does not call his wife old. Okay, that's smart. Uh, Just well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been, been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them and, and realized they had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and has taken away my disgrace among the people. Could it be in this sense that Elizabeth cares about how God sees her and not how the world sees her? Zechariah and and, and Elizabeth, folks who had faith their whole life and upright and just and blameless in every sense of the word. And she played her life out, excuse me, not for the crowd around her, not for the crowd around her, the world that ridiculed her and attempted to silence her, but she played for the audience of one and for the approval of one person, and that is God. Years of childlessness did not stop Elizabeth from being a faithful, obedient servant of God. And years of being subjugated to being a second-class citizen, being told that the fact that she was cursed in those days, and all that falls under the weight of the audience that she plays to. And if she plays to the audience of the world, she has no rights and no status in that day. You see, Elizabeth sees her pregnancy as a gift for God. I imagine that Elizabeth was absolutely shocked that God had answered prayer. In verse 13, we are told this. We're told that they had been praying for a child, and they have been told and promised a child at an old age. Faith had not abandoned them, but I'm 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 sure that they had their doubts. But they refused to believe in those disappointments, and they refused to believe and to listen to the noise of the world around them, reminding them every day that they just aren't worthy enough. And those voices, those kind of whispers of the world around them, I imagine, don't you know if you remain childless, you lose everything? But no, in verse, verse 25, she says, the Lord has shown favor to her. Her lifetime, a response to her lifetime, a response to her life, after a lifetime, says, the Lord has done this for me. A lifetime of disappointments and a lifetime of no's. A lifetime of unanswered questions, but yet she remained true to an audience of one. And no complaining as to why God hadn't done this sooner. No frustration. And I'm reminded of only, just only thankfulness came out of her. And gratitude and favor from the Lord. She understood her life being played out before an audience of one. And if she hadn't, she most certainly would have stopped praying, would have stopped believing, would have stopped trusting in the God that granted her the life that she had in the first place. Elizabeth knows who she is in the eyes of God, but it doesn't take away from the fact, this doesn't take away from the fact that Elizabeth, and we can all kind of place our feet in the shoes of this, and if this maybe isn't your Um, This maybe isn't an example for you, but you can all place our shoes in the life of the Elizabeth of the disappointments in life that we all have been praying for. This is the girl, more more than likely the girl at the bridal shower, who takes a back seat in the audience, 
sitting quietly as the others look on. It's the girl who's tried to have a baby or experiencing the cultural nudges that are unfairly placed upon her. And maybe you've been in that position or in that position right now. Maybe you're the girl who's longed for the day you'll get pregnant and all the feeds on social media are hard. And it's hard to see the joy in others without yourself reflecting on the pain that comes with lifelong friends getting married and having children. And Zechariah, this is also for him too, years of praying for him as well. Years of disappointment. But who is our audience? And whose tune are we dancing to? You see, we'll all look for a certain audience to play toward. And Elizabeth could have joined the easy way out, could have joined the crowd, accepted the status of her day as to who she was and the pressures that come along with it. And she could have said no thanks to a righteous life, a a righteous life and a life of faith. And it's very easy to get caught up in the crowd and the roar of the crowd. Ask any athlete that question. It's easy to to play in front of very large crowds. Ask any actor or actress that question. It's easy to get caught up with the accolades and titles and awards and certificates and interviews for the simple reason that the audience drives the purpose behind doing them. She chooses her audience and refuses to believe the lies that the audience tells her. You and I cannot control who is in the audience, but we can certainly choose who we're playing to and the person writing our script. You see, who is composing your story? Who are you giving the authority? Who are you and I giving the authority to write our stories? Elizabeth had the choice to write in her autobiography of life to tell a story of, of, of life on her, of her own terms. Years of discouragement and hardship could fill the pages of her novel. But she writes a different story, a life and a story that's marked by God himself and how God sees her. Not how others see her, not how the world would label her unfairly. And not how others see her, but how God sees her and how God's word sees her. And maybe you're sort of listening to this story today, sort of reflecting on this. And you're saying, Pastor, I'm writing my own story. My life seems pretty well to do. I've got a pretty good job. I'm living in a good place. Why would I add God to the mix of this? Why would I even bother? Maybe maybe you're on the other side of that fence. You're like, why would I add God to my years of disappointment in life? Isn't that just adding all of this? Isn't that adding just another person, another part of this? And I've been... Pastor, I've, been, I've looked back and I've, I've been faithful to God and I've, and I've sat with many of you in this situation. I've looked back on many of my life. I've been faithful to God and yet I see disappointments in my life. Maybe you're in that place where you're sort of trying to write an autobiography of your life and you're not sure how God could ever be in it. Maybe you look back and you say, I'm just not sure. When I look back on my life, I see myself as a failure. I see my life as God and maybe is mad at me. I look back on my life, and I see a life without God, and I regret that. But I'm here to tell you today that God loves you, (laughs) and God is for you. God is with you. And you see, God's Word also tells us, God's Word is a mirror for us, that we also are lost without God, and we are righteous in the sight of God. And Scripture is the indicator of how God sees us. And we find ourselves in the Bible like those who were broken, but yet God used them. And God mightily used them. We find stories of faith, stories like Paul, who encountered God later in life. And he composed some of the most beautiful letters ever written in the latter half of your Bible. We find folks like Daniel, who lived righteously, yet ended up in a den of lions. 
and in Babylon, far away from his family. Folks like Hannah, who struggled with infertility and were accused of sin because of it, but yet worshiped God in the midst of it all. Here's a story to kind of illustrate this kind of God's word and how it exposes us and it nourishes us as well. There's an author named Paul Johnson. He notes that uh, Stalin was short, just five feet, four inches tall. And furthermore, a childhood accident had left his left arm stiff and his hand slightly misshapen. So when the dictator commanded his portrait, he instructed the artist to paint him from his best angle from below, a perspective that made Stalin seem to tower over the artist. And to add to the image, Stalin folded his hands over his stomach, making them appear firm and powerful, much like the pseudonym he had chosen. Stalin means man of steel. But you see, it's sometimes it's sometimes human nature to put ourselves in the best possible life, but spiritual growth cannot come by merely just adjusting our angle of view. God's word is a mirror that shows us our true condition, and without God, we are lost. And it's through the words of God that one can come to know his or her condition. Life with God, writing your story can start today. And if you were to flip through the pages of your life, and maybe you've never trusted God fully before in your life, it is no doubt filled with pages of disappointment. All of our journals and stories are filled with pages of disappointment. But I can guarantee you this, that God is in it. God is in it. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, know that your story is redeemable from a redeemable point of view. No life is out of bounds from God's book of redemption. In fact, your name is in that book. And if you've never trusted Jesus for your salvation, if you've never trusted him, asked him that fully. Your life is redeemable, all of it, past and present and future. And if you've been Christian your whole life today, if you've been a Christian your whole life, we also must be living into the present as well, to experience the life that God has for us currently here today. The experience of life, the fullness of what God has for us has to be lived today. And we cannot live, life cannot be lived in its fullness apart from God himself. It just cannot happen. The fullness of life cannot happen if it's not lived with God. So we're going to skip a few verses to verse 39 uh, to when Elizabeth, we're skipping to this, when Elizabeth meets Mary. And this is in verse 39. It says this, At the time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The first, it's just a little thought here. This is, this is Mary, this is Mary pregnant. And Elizabeth, Elizabeth saying this, when the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. You notice this this sort of interaction here. What we know from, from Mary and the mother of Jesus is that Mary probably was very, very young, maybe a teenager at this point, maybe it's the age of 16 to 18, but very, very young. And I can imagine, I just placed myself in this shoes right now, and Elizabeth, who's old in years, a lifetime of praying for children, a lifetime of praying, a lifetime, and then Mary all of a sudden meets Mary, and Mary's pregnant. 
but she simply rejoices with Mary and affirms her in this moment. And I can imagine, I just place, I just place myself in that situation. I can imagine if may, maybe this isn't fully your experience, but maybe you can sort of place yourself in this a little bit. You may, Elizabeth could have said, why can a teenager get pregnant? I prayed that same prayer my whole life. And maybe you've held a little bit of heart of a bitterness toward it and trying to rejoice in someone else's victories while wondering why you haven't gotten yours. Is it possible, have you found it harder to rejoice with someone else when you've asked for God for that request and that person got the very thing that you asked for? Maybe it was over a lifetime. What might it look like this Christmas to enter into someone else's joy? That would be a great, wouldn't that be a great gift to give and a great gift to receive this Christmas? To enter into someone else's joy, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult for us, even if it's difficult for our own heart. You see, if you and I look toward others and the life that only that they, that they had, we might not have ever experienced the fullness of joy that God has for each and every one of our lives. We may never experience the fullness of joy if we only live with a purpose. We look toward others rather than joyfully entering the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father and the, the, the purpose of our life that God has specifically chosen for us and for our life and for our future together. You see, Proverbs 14.30 says, A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. And I said this before, but jealousy, it can really rot you and really rot me and really rot us if we're not careful about it. It will rob us of joy. It will eat our lunch along with it. Looking toward others while, while, while without recognizing the joy that's come in your own life is pride. And Elizabeth might say the same thing. And could it be that when Elizabeth rejoices with Mary over the baby, she does so out of a deep-seated joy and contentment in our heart? A deep-seated joy and contentment in our heart, even though the world and even though her life may have been full of disappointments. You see, today's kind of big thought, this big idea today, is that joy does not come from looking at external circumstances. It comes from an abiding relationship with an all-sufficient Savior. We have a Savior who has met every need for us. And maybe you're like, and this does not mean, church, this does not mean we do not live life. We don't, none of us live life in a singular vacuum. We, we need encouragement from each other. We need applause from people. We need encouragement. This is not to say that don't ever not have encouragement or d disregard or decline, decline encouragement. It's not to say that as well. But I want us to think about the applause of Jesus, having the applause of God and having and living for an audience of one. I, I just wonder with this passage, I just wonder that the applause of the world has not really done very good for me. The applause of the world has not really affirmed my life very well. And I know, and I know many of us, we can, we can ask the Elizabeth, we can ask the why question. Um, a couple years ago, Google came out with their year in search, and the most searched thing on Google from that year was why. Quite revealing in today's world, we've progressed in modern medicine and science and education and health and forever in our history, and yet I think we are the loneliest we've ever been. Quite revealing, we as a society are most connected also in our history. What might Elizabeth's story have to say to 
a maybe de- defeated or discouraged heart in 2022? How might Elizabeth's journey of faith speak to us right where we are? And maybe it's not necessarily for you, maybe it's not necessarily uh, Elizabeth and, and pregnancy, but maybe it's a lifetime of, of, of asking God for something and not having that prayer answered. So here's just a little story. Perhaps no composer has captured the musical heart and soul of America, as did Irving Berlin. In addition to familiar favorites such as God Bless America and Easter Parade, he wrote, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, which still ranks as the all-time best-selling musical, musical score. In an interview for the San Diego Union, Don Freeman asked Berlin this, Are there any questions that you've never been asked you would like someone to ask you? And he said, yes, there is one, he replied. What do you think of the many songs you've written that didn't become hits? And my reply would be that I still think they're wonderful. God has an unshakable delight in what and whom he has made. And he thinks of all of his children as wonderful. And whether they're hit, a hit in the eyes of the world or not, he will always think they are wonderful. And you see, Elizabeth's blessedness is in the fact that God chose her and that God's favor rested upon her. Could it be that joy is found not in how the world sees you? Could it be we might know whose we are than what we are not and what the world says we are? It's Elizabeth who recognizes that she is God's prized possession, God's child, God's chosen, God's masterpiece, her joy and knowing that she is there to please an audience of one, a sense of knowing what God says about her. Do you know how God sees you? Does that inform how we live? Does that inform how you live? You see, Zechariah, his name in the Bible actually means God remembers. And we may be saying, oh, does he? Does he really? Elizabeth says, Elizabeth's name, my God is absolutely reliable. We might say, is he really? Is he really? So could it be that you matter in the eyes of God? Could it be to take off the world's labels and yes to the labels that God has for you? God remembered Elizabeth. One of the greatest parts about this little story is that God remembered Elizabeth after years of praying for a child. He remembered Zechariah's faint-hearted prayer in verse 18. It says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. Those faint-hearted prayers, God remembers those prayers. The disappointments were many, but she refused to believe in those disappointments. And God knows and sees even the most faint-hearted of prayers. God hears our prayers, and it's his timing and not ours. And God answers prayers in his time and not our time. And oh, how we wish, myself included, we would wish prayers would happen as soon as the moment we want them to happen. But God sees things differently. And if God loves Elizabeth, and if God has a plan for her, and if God hears our prayers, then he will certainly not answer our prayers. He will not answer our prayers, but only at the right time. And in the book of Luke and Elizabeth's story is for all of human history to be recorded as forever fruitful. And Jesus says, Jesus says that the greatest, the greatest man of John was born of a woman, and he has grown and he grew up. And John actually was baptized Jesus, and this was John the Baptist, and eventually goes 
and baptize Jesus. He's the one who prepares the way for Jesus. And if God can answer that faint-hearted prayer, that old, maybe, maybe you have an old or tired or worn-out prayer, could he answer yours? Could he answer your prayer? Maybe that prayer that's been tired or worn out. Maybe that prayer that's sort of been placed on the back bookshelf and collected some cobwebs. So who's the one helping you write your story? Are you playing to the audience that demands the pressure or are we listening to the voice of one? Who are you living for makes a world of difference as to how life plays out. What about maybe the prayer for a long-lost child? What about the sibling you've been praying for and the words have fallen on deaf ears? You feel like words have fallen on deaf ears. What about the prayer that you put up on the old dusty bookshelf? Maybe the prayer that you've given up on. Perhaps it's time to bring that prayer out and spray it with some lemon scent and wipe it off and to bring it back up before God. You see, even with Luke and this story and with the Roman Empire barreling down on Christians in the first century, the empire trying to drown out the faithful believers of that day, it's a doctor named Luke who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this story for all of us here today. The story of Elizabeth and Zechariah remind me that it is not over for you. It's not over for you. God is crazy about you. And what might this Advent and Christmas season look like if we live into the fullness of joy that God provides? And the fullness of joy that only God can provide us through Jesus. How might that joy impact our families, the worlds in which we live? How might we live into the fullness of joy this Christmas season knowing that God is for us, that God deeply loves us and is crazy about us? For all the world to read and etched forever in his word, God forever includes this story to remind us here today that there are very ordinary folks, much like Elizabeth, who've experienced moments of heartache and moments of disappointment, perhaps maybe even years of disappointment and heartache, and that God breathes life-affirming words into her story. We can live into the promises of God despite the world's unfortunate labels that are placed upon us. And unfortunate labels that oftentimes the labels get etched into our heart, unfortunately. But to live into all that God has for us and to live into that, it might be our message for this Advent season. For us as a church, what might it look like for our church to wrap arms around another person who has experienced disappointment this Christmas? What might it look like to wrap, wrap your arm around somebody who has experienced deep valleys, who's experienced disappointments, who's experienced life's lows? What might it look like to wrap your arm around somebody who's experienced that this Christmas and to walk with people in a very difficult spot and to speak and to pray life-giving words of hope to those who have a very diminished sense of hope and meaning in a very cruel world? and a very disappointing world? What might it look like for us as a church to do that? And what might it look like for us to affirm others and remind others regarding God's view of us rather than the world's unfairness and how the world unfairly views us? What might it look like to enter in to one another's joy this season? What might it look like to wrap our arm around one another and to say, I'm praying for you 
and I'm speaking life-giving words into your life, and I am for you, and God loves you this season. What might it look like for us as a church to do that? And may we enter into this Advent season with that expectant hope that God, with the fullness of joy that only God can provide for all of our life's disappointments and all of our futures together. Amen? Amen. Worship team, will you come up as we sing this song? I'm going to pray for us as we kind of land the plane on this message.